0: Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast all about the tragic yet fascinating cases no one can seem to get enough of. I'm Megan. And I'm Jasmine. We're so glad you're listening. If you like being an armchair detective, you'll love being a Sideline Sleuth. Today's episode is another first for us, but I don't want to give away too much information just yet, so bear with me. Today we're going to talk about the murder of 49-year-old Sharon Cox in Longview, Washington that happened in the year 2000. An autopsy eventually showed that Sharon was manually strangled and that she had been struck four times in the head with a blunt object. Despite there being three trials of two different individuals, Sharon's murder remains unsolved. I'm so stoked. Just before...
1: (laughs) That sounds so bad. I'm not stoked about murder. Okay, continue. But it's
0: interesting. Okay, so just before 1 p.m. on February 7th, 2000, 18-year-old Donovan Allen called 911 to report that he had found his mother, Sharon Cox, badly injured and bleeding on the floor of her bedroom in her Longview, Washington home. Emergency personnel went to the scene, but they were unable to revive Sharon. As you know... An autopsy showed that she was bludgeoned and strangled. Evidence showed a violent struggle. Sharon's glasses were broken and she was clutching a phone cord, despite there not being a landline in their house. Also, a cash box containing $1,550 was missing, as well as a gray file box that had important family documents like birth certificates in it. At the time of her death, Sharon and her husband, Gerald, managed an apartment complex and lived close to it. Donovan was a maintenance worker for the apartments and lived in one of the units with his fiancé Bonnie Walker. Some reports say that Bonnie was pregnant at the time, but I can't say that with 100% certainty, so she might have been. And then Brian Delkitt's, Sharon's nephew, also worked as a maintenance man at the complex for her. Donovan told police that he had just talked to his mom on the phone for a few minutes just before noon and that she was detailing the tasks she had for him and Brian to do that day. According to Donovan, Brian was already at Sharon's home during this phone conversation. Donovan said that he left his home between 12:30 and 12:40 p.m. to walk to his mother's house. Upon arriving, he saw his mother in the floor And immediately called the police. Brian was not at the house when Donovan arrived. So very quickly, like just before noon, he talks to her. He leaves at 1230. I think the report said that his phone call was 1259 p.m. So in like an hour time span, he leaves his house. He walks there. And his mother has been in some sort of struggle. And now she's been killed. How long is the walk? Do you know? They said that she lived nearby to it. So I think it's a pretty quick walk. walk. Like... Um, but I don't know specifically. They didn't say what the name of the apartments were, but I'm sure I can look that up.
1: And the brother Brian was no, there. Cousin. Oh, cousin Brian yeah. was there at the time of the call. Uh huh. But not, not there, there
0: when Donovan arrived. Okay. Good to know. The following day, police discovered a twenty two caliber rifle in a box in the garage. The stock was shattered, and it was covered with blood and what appeared to be human tissue. This was their murder weapon, but. Neither the cash box nor the file box were located. Police immediately focused their investigation around Donovan being the killer. He was taken into the station for five hours of questioning. But he was adamant that he was not in any way involved in his mother's murder. But police admitted that they were trying to break him down and get a confession out of him. Donovan, you know, was only 18 years old and he had been treated for some psychiatric issues as an adolescent and he also had a history of emotional issues and learning disabilities. However, he agreed to participate in a computerized voice stress analyzer or CVSA and then he was released. I had never heard of this before. Have you heard of this?
1: Yes. It's like a lie detector, but it's just detecting, I guess, the is, am I right? Uh-huh. It's like a lie detector, but it's just detecting the, the inflections in your voice yes, to like, see whether or not a Yeah, to see like a stress in
0: your voice or some, <clears throat> some kind of like weird inflection change or something. Yeah. Um, and actually, after I wrote this episode, I listened to some other podcasts that talked about this, and I was like, I just learned what this <laughs> is. So they track an inaudible voice tremor that supposedly strengthens when individuals tell the truth and then weakens when they lie. Like polygraphs, Judges don't usually permit these test results to be used in court because they question their accuracy. According to the Justice Department's National Institute of Justice, CVSAs are said to be, quote, no better than flipping a coin when it comes to detecting deception, end yeah. quote. So I don't even know why we waste our time then. Yeah, and
1: I don't even feel like it's good to, like, eliminate a suspect. Yeah. It's
0: like... Just like, <clears throat> just if you to, can't like scare it, somebody yeah. To, like... Yeah, and that's... Okay, that's exactly what I think it was for, so... The report that that quote comes from is in the National Institute of Justice Journal 259 in March of 2008. They said that when using the technology coupled with urine drug test samples, that only 15% of the people who said that they had not used drugs, but who definitely had used drugs according to their urine samples, were correctly identified as being deceptive by the program. Is it so like 15? 15, yeah, one five. Oh, that's... So, 80, it's like it's just a waste of time. The study's findings also said that just knowing that somebody was using the voice analyzer during an interview is enough to prevent them from giving a false answer. So just them being aware that you're using it, they can like change the way they talk, mm. and then it won't pick up anything like deception. It'll just be like inconclusive. That makes know. sense. If I knew you were like
1: seeing how confident I sound, yeah, basically. I'm gonna sound confident. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: I didn't kill anybody. So they they can talk in a certain way and like throw the results and. So it's not something I would put a lot of faith in. Okay. So using it to scare Donovan is, I think, exactly what they did. So on February 10th, Donovan voluntarily returned to the station for more interviews and agreed to take a second voice stress test. The detectives told Donovan that the results of that test indicated he was being deceptive. And still, Donovan was released. Nearly a month later, so, like, it has been a month since the murder, but, like, nearly a month since that, March 8th, 2000. Detectives arrested Donovan at a restaurant where he was planning to marry his fiancée, Bonnie. But they didn't arrest him for his mother's murder. Instead, they charged him with intimidation because he allegedly told someone that he wanted to hurt one of the detectives on the case who was interrogating him, and also because whoever he said that to, he later threatened to hurt them if he told anyone that he said that. I don't know. This seems a little petty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they should get some thicker skin. Like, yeah. If we we arrest everybody who were... Yeah, I mean... People are going to threaten you, but it's a hard job. As a teacher, I've been threatened before, and I don't get to arrest them, so. (laughs) So Donovan was, again, taken to the police station and interrogated for several hours. This time between 10 p.m. and 6.45 a.m., Stopping only when the detectives needed a break, so they're like really trying to wear him yeah, down. Yeah, and he's—I mean, just
1: an adult. He's, he's barely, barely an adult. Yeah. He doesn't have a parent to mm-hmm. kind of help and he him navigate had something this. Something
0: traumatic just happened. His mom yeah. died. Yeah, and he's had psychiatric. Issues, he has a history yeah. and mm-hmm. emotional
1: disturbances. So and learning disabilities. Like I don't know. We put a piece of paper in front of me. This seems.
0: I don't know. Carry on. Tell me more. So, they according to police's own admissions, Donovan kept saying, and this is a quote, "Quote, kept saying that he didn't have the details because he didn't do the crime, end quote. So he wasn't able to give them anything because he was like, I just, I wasn't there, I don't know. So the question they were asking him, he was unable to answer. But investigators began interrogating him again around 3.45 p.m. So that was like a nine hour just like hanging out waiting for it to start again. And this is where things get weird. So we've talked a lot about false confessions and people inserting themselves into crimes, and that's exactly what happened here. So police were using some kind of, like, suggestive methods during their interrogations that can make people doubt their own reality, not necessarily what happened with Donovan, but just, like, in general, and I saw it on an episode of something once, like, one of the, I don't know, crime shows, I don't know what it was, though, where this lady's daughter died in a fire... And she was, like, adamant that she had absolutely nothing to do with it. Like, she didn't set the fire. She does not know anything about the fire. But they asked her so much and for so long that she began to think maybe she did do it and then just somehow doesn't remember doing it. Like, they, like, wear you down. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened to Donovan. He said he was innocent repeatedly until the third stress test where he started to say things like, Quote, I probably did it because there's so much, quote, saying that I did do it, end quote. So he, the whole time he was like, I can't give you the answers you want. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I wasn't there. I'm in no way involved. But then after he failed the third test, he started to be like, am I, I being, just, did I kill my mom? Like. I've seen a
1: lot of shows actually yeah. where this happens. Like Making a Murderer. Yeah. And like, there's a couple on like Netflix where it's like, you push and you push. or you suggest with then, dreams? Or you yes. tell them, "Hey, tell me about a dream that you had," where this like you yeah. drop hints mm-hmm. and then.
0: So is yeah, that terrifying? That is ter- like, I would like to think that I wouldn't fall for that, but I have, you have no idea.
1: Like, I mean, you don't know if he's eating. You don't know if he's so uncomfortable and physically. It's
0: been so long yeah. there, yeah. So from
1: ten to six. Yeah. He started, I'm going to confess, too.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, I hope I wouldn't, but you know. If never I didn't know. eat dinner? <laughs> yeah, get hangry. But like, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Just give me some food. So he kept saying, like, maybe I did kill my mom, and maybe I just blacked out, and that's why I don't remember. And it was so the third test. He was like, okay, well, this thing is saying I'm lying, so maybe I'm lying. And that is when detectives say that he confessed to the crime and gave them a very detailed account, actually, of what happened. But... Earlier he said he had none of the details. Mm-hmm. Now he's, like, creating this story. So he Donovan was putting a lot of trust in the test, even though we now know that you shouldn't put a lot of trust in it, and they're actually pretty controversial. But he was a baby, basically. So his confession was tape-recorded, and he said, quote, We got into an argument. Things got out of hand, and I accidentally killed her. I didn't mean for it to happen. It just did. He said that he and his mom were arguing over money, because he apparently needed some cash to buy drugs or pay for drugs, but the argument escalated as Sharon entered her bedroom. According to Donovan, this is when he choked her with the telephone cord until it broke. He said that she tried to escape, but fell, and that's when he grabbed a rifle from the gun cabinet and hit Sharon in the head with it, twice. Next Donovan reports that the gun stock shattered, so he picked up the pieces, washed them in the bathroom, and then hid them in the garage. He entered the house, grabbed the cash box, which he then threw into like, like a kind of a ditch or something, like a nearby thing. And thinking that his mom might still be alive, he goes back into the house again and calls 911. So police take Donovan out of jail so he can show them where he ditched the cash box, but they couldn't find it or like any evidence in the location he said it would be. Two days later, Donovan recanted his confession, but it was too late. He was charged with aggravated murder with robbery, and he went to trial in February of 2002, so two years after it happened. His defense argued that the confession was false and came from detectives showing him very graphic autopsy photos of his mother and basically feeding him information about the crime. So they were telling him things, try, like plant it in his head so that he could... Regurgitated to them during his confession. Like it was, it's very unannounced. It's it very shifty yeah. and yeah. calculated. It's like I don't know. So, but yes, it is very much like serial and like Making of a Murderer and yeah. all those like highly publicized ones. So, the medical examiner who conducted Sharon's autopsy said that she was strangled manually with one hand, but that prior to being strangled, she was hit in the head four times.
1: Yeah, so the two doesn't make sense, and he couldn't locate where
0: the cash box was. They still don't know where the cash box is. Yeah, never found it. So this is not aligning with Donovan's confession, where he said he struck her twice with the gun after he strangled her and that he used a phone cord to strangle her and not his hand. So not only is the order of events incorrect, but the number of blows to the head and the method that Sharon was strangled were also incorrect. So he's telling them, like, what he can from what they've said, but it's... Oh, what they've shown it. Yes, but it's not perfect. It's not jiving. So two jailhouse informants said that Donovan admitted to them that he killed his mother because he needed money for drugs. But in previous cases, like the murder of Officer Victor Decker in Virginia Beach, we discussed the credibility of using other incarcerated individuals to build your case. The prosecution didn't have any physical evidence that linked Donovan to the murder, including no DNA. So now this was in the year 2000. And DNA wasn't what it is now, but they were still able to do some testing on the evidence back then, and nothing was linking it to Donovan. So all they have is this confession, and the confession isn't even accurate.
1: Yeah. I always, I feel more comfortable with, like, first-time confessions. Yeah. we got to poke and prod for hours and hours. Three different times
0: of questioning, three different stress tests. Yeah. Like... And then he said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then he gives you inaccurate details. Why are you, like, taking that to the bank, basically?
1: Yeah. I just don't have any other leads.
0: They just... It didn't seem to me like they considered any other possibility. They were just like... And even when you first told the story, I was like, what about the cousin? What about the cousin? So, on March 8th, 2002, I believe that was exactly two years to the day since Donovan was first arrested for intimidation. So, after 18 hours of deliberation... The jury was unable to reach a unanimous verdict, and a mistrial was declared. But that wasn't the end of this for Donovan. He went to trial a second time in October of that same year. The jury delivered a guilty verdict on October twenty third, 2002, and Donovan was sentenced to life in prison without parole. His appeals were denied by both the Washington Court of Appeals and the Washington State Supreme Court. So... What are you thinking at this point? Eesh. Guilty verdict. I I just don't know. I, I, I There's a difference between what you <laughs> know and what you can prove, and so...
1: <laughs> has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Yes. I just think in those heinous crimes, like, you want to yeah. put it on someone so you can have the relief
0: of yeah. knowing it. Yeah, and it looks good for your numbers and stuff, but... Yeah. So, like, totally other cases. Like, the Casey Anthony case, like, I think she killed her daughter, but I think the court did the right thing because I don't think they could prove beyond a reasonable doubt mm-hmm. that she killed her daughter. So, like, do I think she killed Kaylee? Yes. But you can't convict people off of what you think. You have to convict people off of what you can prove. Mm-hmm. So, in this one, I think they did a, him, like, a huge disservice. Like, okay. this was a, not this is not justice. <coughs> this is because, a miscarriage of justice. Yeah, they could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt, I think, that Donovan was the murderer. And the first jury was like, we can't agree. And the second one said guilty. And I think that they got it wrong. Yeah, whatever. For whatever reason, maybe they did a better job of like sensationalizing yeah. the second trial.
1: But I definitely think if you don't have some type of forensics in this day yeah. and age, I feel like why are you but, even taking it to yeah, trial? Don't yeah. even
0: bother. So, <clears throat> false confessions are really odd to me because I just don't understand how you admit to something you didn't do, especially something as brutal and horrific as murdering your own mother. But at this point, so in 2002, we don't really know that his confession is false. Like he said. Like, we know it, but I don't think everybody knew. Like, right. I don't think the general public was aware. Yeah, I think it, we're yeah. becoming
1: more aware that this stuff happens this, all yes, the time, and yeah. especially in small towns and yeah. big, big cases in
0: small towns. Yes, yeah. So in 2011, the Innocence Project Northwest at the University of Washington School of Law began to investigate Donovan's case again. So at this point, he's already been, like, the, the murder was 11 years before, and he's been convicted for, like, nine years now. So, in April of 2015, an Innocence Project attorney began filing motions to have more DNA testing done on the evidence in the case. So, if you're not familiar with what the Innocence Project is, according to their website, it's a nonprofit legal organization that seeks to exonerate individuals who have been wrongly convicted through DNA testing and also work to reform the criminal justice system to prevent future injustices. So, Steven Drizin, I think that's how you would say it, it's D-R-I-Z-I-N, he is a false confession expert and a professor at Northwestern Law School. Well, he analyzed Donovan's confession and said that it contained quote-unquote false-fed facts from police. And false-fed facts are based off of a police theory that developed early in the investigation, but not necessarily based off of facts or evidence. So Donovan claimed to have washed the gun off in the shower but there was no blood or any trace evidence discovered in the bathroom. And as you already know, Donovan claimed to have strangled Sharon with a phone cord before striking her two times, when in actuality, Sharon was struck four times and then manually strangled by her attacker. Donovan also said that he cut his finger on the gun when he was hitting Sharon with it, but he actually didn't have a cut on his finger at that time, nor was any of his blood found at the scene or on his clothing or on her clothing, so that part was just completely false. Furthermore, Donovan's defense presented evidence at the trial that the murder had actually been committed by someone else, the nephew Brian Del Kitts, who also worked as a maintenance man for the apartments, and who, according to Donovan, was actually at Sharon's house at noon when he talked to her on the phone.
1: He's the last person that saw her. Yeah, but,
0: but they as were far just as they know. yeah they were yeah as far as I know they were just like really. <laughs> zeroing in on Donovan. So Stephen Drizzen, the false confession expert, said that in addition to the false fed facts and the errors in the confession narrative, you know, basically the inconsistencies with what was known from evidence, like the number of blows or the way she was strangled, that there was also a, quote, lack of corroboration, meaning no proceeds of the robbery, the metal cash box was not retrieved from the location that Donovan claimed to have ditched it, nor did investigators find any bloody clothing of his or any of his blood at the crime scene. So there was just lots of things that would give you a reasonable doubt, right? Because so typically, if you
1: get a confession, no matter when yeah. in the course of an investigation, you check it to yeah, make sure you be able to that it's not back it false. Up, yeah, and so they don't seem to have cared that it wasn't. They, yeah,
0: they just—they <clears throat> couldn't back it up at all. So, so that law professor said that Donovan's learning disabilities and his mental health issues made him vulnerable to police interrogation tactics. Gosh. Detectives with Longview PD fed Donovan facts of the crime and interrogated him for too long, causing unnecessary stress and possible sleep deprivation.
1: Mm-hmm. He pick argue- somebody up at
0: 10, and don't, yeah. they don't stop till 6 a.m. You didn't yeah. sleep, and then he just waits there for nine more hours, and they start again. So, yeah. I'm, so I don't know. It just seems like. Think like a violation of his amendment rights, actually. So, cruel and unusual punishment. He, actually, I say a lot of things are cruel and unusual punishment. I don't actually know what the legal definition of that is. Neither but, I'm any, no lawyer, but. Anything that I think would be unbearable, I'm like, this, yeah. this is a violation of my amendment, um, my constitutional rights. So, he argued that detectives do not generally re- uh, reveal crime scene details or evidence to suspects, but that they purposely did this to Donovan. They fed him information so that he could recreate the crime for them in his confession. And apparently detectives showed Donovan photos of the crime scene somehow led him to identify the murder weapon as the 22 caliber rifle and then even told him how many pieces the rifle broke into at the crime scene by presenting it to him in the form of a question. So they, like, disguised it, but they gave him that. So the photos led him to correctly identify the gun, and then one of the questions they asked him led him to be able to tell them how many pieces it broke into. Mm -hmm. So they were... They were trying they were to connect cracking. the dots, but they
1: still didn't. Yeah, and even even when you look back at something like that, you can't like necessarily point the
0: finger at detectives yeah. and say you were deliberately feeding yeah. him this confession. But it was a look- suspect as hell. Yeah. yeah. According yeah. to an attorney with the Innocence Project, about a quarter of the cases involving an individual who was exonerated include a false confession, which seems like hella high to me. 25% of exonerated people. Gosh, so I, sad. I didn't realize that it was that. Common. Yeah. All like, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. I'm just, every now and then when
1: I think about how many people must be in jail for stuff they didn't, they didn't do, do, I freak out. Like I
0: can't yeah. dwell on that very long. That's another, not to get political, another thing issue I have with the death penalty because I'm like, what if we get it wrong? Because we get it wrong a lot, apparently. So the request for testing was granted. And like the original defense thought, the new test revealed another person's DNA, not Donovan's. And whose DNA did they find? This is why they should make me a detective. Yes, the nephew. <laughs> Brian Delkitt's DNA. Large amounts of his DNA were found on the barrel of the rifle that was used to bludgeon Sharon to death, as well as on the collar of her turtleneck and other parts of her sweater. Prosecutors said that the evidence showed signs of a struggle. This new evidence led investigators to just consider Brian as a second suspect, like maybe they committed the crime together or something. Oh, geez. But they still, like, wouldn't get over the Donovan thing. So in November of 2015, Brian was arrested and charged with aggravated first-degree murder with a firearm enhancement, which carries a life sentence for those who are convicted. And on December 1st, 2015, more than 13 years after he was convicted, Donovan's conviction was vacated and he was released. So Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, so, you never hear about those I know, stories. Right? So you may think that this is a victory or at least some sort of justice for Sharon Cox, but sadly, it isn't. Brian's trial was the third time that Washington State attempted to convict somebody for Sharon's murder. You know, because Donovan went to trial twice. The first where he was it was like a hung jury and the second one where he was found guilty. And Brian's defense was centered completely around Donovan being the killer. The defense said that Donovan had a strained relationship with his mother Sharon and that could have easily escalated into something violent. He was utilizing drugs and experiencing a financial hardship which could have motivated him to rob and murder his mother. As you know, Sharon's cash box containing more than $1,500 was missing from her home and never located. The defense claimed that Brian had access to money and therefore no motive for the robbery slash murder. Defense attorney Kevin Blondin brought up things such as a phone call where Sharon said she was afraid of Donovan. The statement that Christopher Miller, a man who shared a cell with Donovan in 2001, said when Donovan confessed to him it was because he needed money to pay back a heroin dealer so he had to kill his mom to get this money from her. And also one of Donovan's friends even testified that he saw what he described as a wad of cash in Donovan's possession the same day that his mom died. Mm. So they really didn't have to defend Brian so much as they just pointed the finger at somebody else which which created reasonable doubt. And then in Donovan's trial they had tried to do the same thing like the defense tried to say, point to Brian, which should have created a reasonable doubt, but didn't. So, furthermore, they claimed that Brian had a really good relationship with his Aunt Sharon, and that he had even helped her move into her home earlier that year, and tried to use that as the explanation for his DNA presence. So, I think it was actually sweat and not blood that they found, because... Oh. Brian was with her shortly before he was killed and he was like a maintenance worker at that complex that she managed. And they were trying to say that maybe he hugged her or something and that's how this DNA was on her sweater and that he handled the gun during the move and you get pretty sweaty moving. So that's how his DNA got on the murder weapon. So I think it creates reasonable doubt. Do I think he's still involved? Yes, but can you prove that? Or does that put the, like, plants the seed of doubt? Yeah, I, I feel you. I mean... <clears throat> if he's close to her I can see there's
1: lots of reasons why his DNA if it's not blood yeah they didn't say then, blood all they said was yeah. DNA
0: large amounts of DNA
1: large amounts
0: he got really sweaty moving I don't know my, the maintenance workers yeah but see get, yeah they get sweaty but I also feel like
1: when you're moving February. stuff you're not like necessarily like sweatily carrying a gun you know what I mean I feel like yeah. you're moving boxes you're doing things yeah. like that people are usually pretty and careful when did about you move? their guns are you, you know? moving
0: in July in <clears throat> Texas or are you moving in February in Washington I've never been to Washington. I don't know what the climate's like, but she was wearing a turtleneck at the time she died. So yeah, I just wish that they were a little bit more
1: aggressive about pursuing him as a lead at the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because then they could have seen: did he have like defensive wounds or yeah. any of that stuff? Did he have a lot of cash? Mm-hmm. Did he dispose yeah. of a
0: what money box? Yeah. Whatever. I don't know. It just seems, <clears throat> and I don't. As far as I know, they never really traveled the avenue of them being co-conspirators. I guess, but. I also feel like Donovan would have ratted him out, like, way earlier. Because yeah. I mean, like, if he
1: was getting charged yeah. with something like that. I mean, yeah, like, it that was that actually
0: something? Brian and I did this together or something.
1: I don't I'm, know. it down to, we really don't know. And she could have had other enemies, too. You never know. Yeah. She's got a whole
0: but apartment But why was Brian, Brian at the scene people. and then not at the scene? With no explanation, I feel like. Like, where, what did he, did they even ask him? Like, like where you did have you go? have an go? Alibi. Yeah. So... In August, questions on questions on questions. In, in August of 2016, it took the jurors only a few hours to find Brian not guilty of Sharon Cox's murder. The prosecuting attorney said, quote, Obviously we're disappointed with the result of this case. Nonetheless, we respect the decision of the jury. End quote. So this verdict leaves the case technically unsolved.
1: You know, I feel like they put the wrong man away for a long time. If you knew that history, like yeah. you wouldn't convict somebody on like a almost. Yeah. So I mean, I feel like the jury did
0: what I would have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have. I think in both cases there was reasonable doubt. You just didn't know. They never. They never had enough to try this in the first place. Let alone try it three times.
1: Yeah, Ooh, Washington.
0: Um, so now the case is open without a known suspect, and Brian cannot be retried, although Donovan technically can. What? Because they just vacated his conviction. He was never found not guilty. And that's horrible for his whole life. What are you going to do now? So police were, in 2016, reinvestigating the case and said they still considered Donovan to be a suspect. However, prosecutors said there was no possibility that they would ever retry him. So that's good. And in 2018, Donovan filed a claim for compensation from the state of Washington for wrongful incarceration. I was going to yeah. ask. Is I don't think it's them? been determined yet. Because they those, didn't say he wasn't guilty. Yeah, they just so. said, we're
1: going to vacate your sentence. Yeah.
0: Wash our hands, um, but cover our butts. So, honestly, that is a really good <laughs> way to put it. So, we need to, like, put that as a tagline. That's a great <laughs> idea. Like, we need a t-shirt that says that. So, no one <laughs> steal that from us. So, Honestly, I have no idea really what happened, but my gut is leaning more towards Brian being the culprit than Donovan. What do you think?
1: Definitely. I mean, you didn't even tell me the full story, and I was like, what about Brian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah come true. on now. Yeah. yeah. He's, you he's were got suspect of lot. him initially. <laughs> yeah. But I, I trust it. Yeah. Um, gosh, but I would want. I, have to know so much more yeah. about their family dynamic That's and true. i mean but he's she's his boss she's
0: barking orders at yeah. him like this is what you gotta also do in the it, yeah. day i can see how that could just turn ugly yeah i, I feel mean, like they just didn't they just like donovan did it from the jump and they didn't even look at do you have any disgruntled tenants do you have we having marital problems i don't know like they're just like and donovan you did. bogus confession that doesn't actually make any sort of sense we're gonna run with it I wonder, you
1: mentioned that he had like issues with drugs, and I Mm -hmm. wonder if he had run ins
0: with the police before the time of this. So they were like, oh, it's got to be this guy. Or apparently he told his cellmate that he owed some money to a heroin dealer. How do we know that whoever he was mixed up with didn't do something to his mom and then take the money
1: that they owed? That's true. That's so true. And even still, like a a jailhouse confession, there's so many angles on this, but if I was an 18 year old that just got put in prison oh, for you're trying to murder get cred. I wouldn't I wouldn't be like I didn't do it I'd be like yeah I did it I did it twice yeah I killed yes I killed I did, my mama, the, so what would, would I do are, to you yeah. they don't know my murder count yeah, yeah, that's, that's so true <laughs> I, did, I told them I'm gonna be yeah, one, it's it's exactly like you try to like yeah street, I
0: don't want to get beat up I don't yeah, get, I completely agree with you that yeah. sounds that sounds so plausible so no part of me really thinks that Donovan did it but I didn't see anything, like I said a minute ago, about Brian's excuse for leaving his Aunt Sharon's house around noon and then not being there at, like, 1250-ish when Donovan found her. Like, where did you go? And how bizarre is it that she just happened to be murdered in that small time frame between the phone call and Brian there and then Donovan coming and Brian not there? Yeah, like, how how heavy is the traffic in this yeah. woman's apartment or, yeah. or house? house? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think law enforcement would have cleared Donovan with no intention of retrying him if they didn't truly believe that Brian was the killer. Like, Brian was right. found not guilty, but I think if they thought it was could be Donovan, they would try again. Yeah. So I think they probably think it's Brian. They changed their mind, but didn't publicly change yeah.
1: their mind. There's so many so. weird things about that. I also wonder if, like, why they zeroed in on him if it mm-hmm. wasn't the drug thing. Like, did he do something suspicious? Like, was yeah. there a weird... But, yeah. I mean, yeah. was the
0: call weird? I'd love to hear the number Oh, I yeah. yeah I would love to hear it, too. I wish all those were just released like yeah. everybody else's. So it's just unfortunate now that Sharon's murder is technically unsolved, Although it's definitely one of these two. I mean, well, definitely one of the most likely one of these two, yeah. with a small percentage that it could be a disgruntled heroin dealer. Yeah, 80 20. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm good with this. <laughs> so, in 2017 alone, there were 139 exonerations. And between 1989 and 2017, the National Registry of Exonerations, which I didn't know existed, documented 2,161 exonerations in the United States. So, that was over almost a thirty, like twenty eight years, almost a thirty year period, and some of them, and that so that's like overall, that's not just like Innocence Project people, and that includes ninety six individuals who got cleared in Chicago and Baltimore in what they're calling a group exoneration, when they found out that law enforcement had planted evidence and framed people for drug crimes in those areas. Ninety six people.
1: I think I knew a little bit about that. That's yeah.
0: So this is Chicago it's and Baltimore. Happening. In 2018, the Innocence Project exonerated nine people, which was the most ever in a year in the history of this project, and they also helped pass 17 wrongful conviction reforms in 14 different states. The people that they helped free in 2018 had spent more than a combined 215 years in prison, so that's just, I don't know, that's it's like unsettling to think about all the people in there who may have not done what, they, what they're being accused, of, accused doing. of
1: doing so so great I feel like I've noticed there's like a big upswing or like a swelling yeah. of people who are interested in yeah. true crime and I think this is one of the positives that comes yeah. from that it's like people know now yeah. that forensic science isn't it like yeah. or you know just because somebody confesses to something yeah, that it doesn't mean, it mean everything. they really yeah. did it so and like so now we're looking out for each bringing other bringing all this attention, attention to things is good finding yes. finding the justice system yeah. just by paying attention yeah I
0: look at us it. so being sidelines oh, part lose. of the solution yeah. <laughs> So, if you would like to learn more about the difficult and invaluable work that the Innocence Project is doing, you can visit their website at innocenceproject.org. So, in a few months, it will be 20 years since Sharon was killed. In six months, it will be 20 years. And four years since her son Donovan's conviction was vacated and he walked free. But, unfortunately, the murder of Sharon Cox is still open. So, if you have any information about this case, please contact the Longview, Washington Police Department at 360-442-5800.
1: Thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you have any comments or questions about this case or just feedback about the show in general, you can find us online at Facebook.com slash